Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This podcast is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, Trainingport.net. We link the aviation news of the day with the training needs of business aviation operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We want to discuss topics that are important to business aviation professionals. So please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Hello and welcome. If your radio altimeter failed or started to provide erroneous or conflicting information, which systems in your aircraft could be affected? This could occur in a critical phase of flight as radio altimeters are generally only active below 2,500 feet. For the airplane I fly, the radio altimeter has the following importance. The EFIS control panels supply radio minimum values to the display processing computer, which calculate radio minimum alerts that show on the display units. Each flight control computer uses radio altitude from its on-side radio altimeter receiver transmitter unit. Each flight control computer uses RA in the approach control and low altitude flight calculations. Autothrottle uses radio altitude in the toga or takeoff go-around calculations and autothrottle flare calculations. Ground proximity warning calculations uses radio altitude in its ground proximity alert and warning logic calculations. The TCAS computer uses RA to set the sensitivity levels for intruder advisory calculations and to determine if the intruder aircraft is on the ground. The digital flight acquisition unit records RA values, and the weather radar uses RA to turn on and off the predictive wind shear function. There are many systems that are affected by a radio altimeter failure, therefore there are some decisions to be made when an RA fails. I'll read through portions of my aircraft's radio altimeter failure checklist. Radio altimeter failure, non-normal checklist, condition. A radio altimeter has failed or is providing misleading data. Two RAs are required for CAT2, CAT3, RNAV GPS, and RNAV RMP approaches. On the ground, check your MEL. One may be in-op provided, in-op RA is deactivated, and other RA is operative. Approach minimums or procedures do not require its use. During takeoff with one RA in-op, the flight directors and autopilot should be controlled by the flight control computer on the same side as the valid RA. Okay, if the failure happens in flight, choose one. Captain's RA has failed. Uh, On takeoff, number one RA is an op. The HUD, or heads-up display, is an op. Low visibility takeoff below 500 RVR or 150 meters is not authorized. If takeoff is continued, at rotation and liftoff, transition to PFD, ND, do not use heads-up display. And that's the end of that checklist. For takeoff, for captain side failure, approach and landing, the aircraft is restricted to CAT1 minima. Do not use the heads-up display. Do not use associated autopilot or flight director. Do not use the autothrottle. At loc and glide slope capture, the captain's flight director disappears and autopilot A, if engaged, disconnects. The first officer's flight director and autopilot B are available. If in IMC conducting a CAT 2 or CAT 3 ILS approach and your RA fails, immediately execute a missed approach using the PFD and ND. 
And then similar failures with the first officer's side. But as you can tell, there's lots of uh, issues to be dealt with, depending on when the failure or erroneous information is experienced. So why talk about radio altimeters? Virtually everyone uses a smartphone. And as customers, we would like faster and faster service. 5G will provide that faster service. However, the frequency range that 5G networks use are very close to those used by radio altimeters and aircraft. Transport Canada issued a Civil Aviation Safety Alert, ACASA 2021-08, in June of 2021, which states in part, Innovation Science and Economic Development Canada is the spectrum regulator in Canada. ISED will allow 5G networks and technology in the frequency band 3450 to 3650 megahertz following its auction in June 2021. Additionally, ISED will also allow mobile wireless systems to operate in the frequency band 3650 to 4000 megahertz for 2023. The frequency band with allocated to 5G is close to one used by aircraft radio altimeters, which is 4200 to 4400 MHz. 5G is already live in 284 cities in the U.S., over 380 in China. Many countries in Europe are also live. There are over 1,600 cities in 65 countries with 5G today. Canada has 5G in most major cities. So what are the risks to aviation safety? The Canadian Radio Technical Commission for Aeronautics, or the RCTA, produced a report which concluded there is a likelihood that 5G radio waves will interfere with radio altimeters. That's quite a statement. The greatest threat is undetected wrong height information given by the radio altimeter to the aircraft systems. Erroneous or no warnings at all could result in a loss of situational awareness of the cockpit crew. What can we do as an industry to protect and prepare ourselves? Many countries already have regulations or advisories for portable electronic device, or PED, use. As a crew and an operator, these preventative measures must be followed. Educating your clients to the rules is crucial. In Canada, all 5G PEDs in the cabin should be set to airplane mode or off completely. 5G-capable PEDs should not be allowed to connect to a 5G network. If 5G PEDs are stowed in checked baggage, they should be off and protected from accidental activation. If there is an emergency situation on board and a smartphone is required, then the PED being used should only connect to 3G or 4G networks. If the flight crew encounters a radio altimeter disturbance, the crew must report it to air traffic control or air traffic services as soon as possible. If you operate internationally, then make sure to research any country-specific 5G mitigation measures. So I wrote this podcast a few weeks ago, and since then, there has been an update to the story in Canada. An online aviation news source, AvWeb, is reporting that the Canadian government has proposed restrictions on 5G tower construction or exclusion zones near airport runways. To say this is a big deal to the smartphone industry is an understatement. In the U.S., the Federal Communications Commission, or the FCC, auctioned the 5G frequencies for $81 billion. The stakes are high, but so is the safety of the traveling public. It appears that the governments are listening to the industry. AvWeb also reports that the White House in the U.S. is active in this debate and has scheduled high-level meetings to determine the best course of action. I'll leave a link in the show notes to the article. In Canada, Advisory Circular 700-005 
states that the onus for determining if passenger-operated electronic devices will cause interference is placed on the operator of the aircraft. As there are no airworthiness standards for the manufacturer of passenger-operated devices, no maintenance standards, and no performance standards in relation to their use on an aircraft. So basically, the operator has to determine what interference they may experience. The FAA states in Info 13010, by regulation, an operator needs to determine that PEDs will not cause interference with the navigation or communication system of the aircraft on which it is being used. Trainport.net content states that it is solely the aircraft operator's responsibility to determine whether or not passenger-operated electronic devices will interfere with aircraft systems for each make and model of aircraft, and then report any interferences. Furthermore, the operator's documentation should explain the various types or classes of technologies that may be encountered by flight and cabin crew, alongside how they relate to company PED policies. Refer to your operations manual to ensure you understand your company's specific procedures. Also, check out trainingport.net operations review training for personal electronic device training. Okay, let's change gears for a moment. In the news is a segment of the podcast where I talk about other happenings in aviation. Another lithium battery fire has occurred on an airplane, but thankfully it happened on the ground. If you didn't listen to my previous podcast on lithium battery fires, then go to trainingport.net and click on podcast. This event occurred in Paris on a 737-900 operated by El Al. The aircraft was about to taxi when a cargo compartment fire warning was enunciated. The flight crew asked the cabin crew if there were any indications of fire, and there were not. The captain decided to deplane the guests as a precaution. Once everyone was off, the cargo hold was opened and a burnt lithium battery was found disconnected from a wheelchair. The battery was supposed to be disconnected from the power chair, but the battery is supposed to be carried in the passenger cabin by the owner, according to dangerous goods procedures. The timing of the lithium battery overheat was timely, as it happened before takeoff, and a well-trained and professional crew dealt with the situation. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. And have a great day. That's our podcast for today. Podcast notes will be posted on our website at trainingport.net. Click on podcast. We aim to discuss topics that are relevant to business aviation professionals, and we would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. This podcast is brought to you by trainingport.net leader in online business aviation training. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. Have a great day and thank you for listening to the Business Aviation Training Report. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.